Um, but I'm, I'm excited this morning as we wrap up um, our time studying uh, this passage, this, this significantly meaningful passage uh, found in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. Um, and we've just been tracking through over the last couple weeks, uh, looking at, at different parts of this commission, um, just kind of taking it and, and saying, what does that require of us? Um, we've called this study Multiply because we really believe that when, when you look at the words of Jesus, right, we know that these are some of the last recorded words that we have of Jesus before he ascended back to heaven. Um, as you look at these, at these words, um, the only way that you can respond to this, um, the only result of following this is, is going to be multiplying of other followers of Jesus, right? It's, it's not going to happen. Um, it's not going to happen if, 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 you don't, if you don't follow Jesus' commandment, you're, you're going you're gonna to multiply. Um, and that's what he's saying here is that um, when you come and make disciples, you're going to multiply what, what Christ has already invested in you now and in other people. And so um, if you tra- trace back to the beginning of this passage, uh, we started out by saying that multiplication requires movement. That was the first thing that we said in, in the command to go, to go, um, right? And, and we talked about how if, if you stay in those comfortable places, you're never going to go and make disciples, right? It's not going to happen. If we, if we stay in our comfort, um, we were never going to go out and be uh, who God wants us to be. We're never going to go out and make the disciples that he wants us to, to make. And so there's a command to go, right? Go out um, and make disciples. And then last week we talked about how multiplication requires reproduction, right? And, and this whole concept of making a disciple, we talked a lot about what a disciple is, right? We went back to that very Jewish idea of the, the Talmud and what it looked like to follow a rabbi, to be someone who has just dedicated their life to following Jesus, um, and, and so what we want to do then is, as we follow Jesus, we want to invest in other people and make them follow Jesus or help them to follow Jesus in the same way. And so when that happens, we're going to multiply these disciples. We also had the opportunity last week to talk about how this is a call not just to do that within our own uh, geographical area, but really the call is to go make disciples around the world of all nations. And so it's a, it's a global call to go and to make disciples. Um, and so today, we're going to finish up this call by looking at these two concepts of baptism and then teaching, right? It's the last two things that Jesus said. Um, and, and the way I've come to look at this is that the going is kind of the initial part, right? That's the, the first step in the discipleship process is going. And then once we go, we have the opportunity to invest and to make disciples and to share the hope that we have within us in somebody else, right? But that's not where it stops, right? We have these other two parts of that. After we've, uh, after someone has committed their life to following Jesus, after they made that decision, what's next? And so today we're going to talk about baptism and teaching, learning, investing in the lives of other people. And so what I want us to do is I just want us to go back and to read this passage one more time together. Um, we've read this through each week, but I think it's important that we just read through the Word of God, right? Because this is where, this is where the, the authority comes this morning. The authority comes from the Word of God and what, what these words tell us. And so let's read this together one more time. Uh, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together this morning, church. Father, we come to you as your children. We come to you as those um, seeking insight, um, God, to glean from your wisdom and your truth that we find in your word this morning. Father, we ask that it would be your word that guides our hearts and our minds today. God, don't make it about us. Don't, don't let it be about our thoughts or what we want your word to say, God, but help us just to take, take your word for what it says, God, that your word has the authority and the power in our life. And God, help us just to obey what you've called us to do. God, I pray at the end of the day that, God, this wouldn't just be an intellectual study, God, but it would be something that moves our hearts and our minds to a place to following you in a more genuine, closer way. I thank you for Jesus this morning. God, I thank you for this church family, the time we have together this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first I want us to look at this idea of baptism. As we look at baptism, we're going to see that baptism really has to do with identification, right? That's, that's the crux of baptism. Baptism, uh, so in this multiplication process, it's going to require identifying with Jesus. That's what baptism is. Baptism is an is a outward symbol of this inward commitment that we've made in our life. I want to be really clear. I think there's some uh, very unbiblical teaching out there about baptism that will say baptism is actually what saves you. Um, but in the, in the Word, what we see is that salvation always comes first and then baptism. Baptism is a, is a symbol or a sign of that salvation that we already have, right? Salvation comes through grace, not through the act of baptism. But baptism is a, is a sign for the world to see that, yes, now I am a follower of Jesus, right? It's, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, and really, it's a picture of, of those that have been far off being brought into the family, right? Um, being brought into the family. It, it's much like a name change of being brought into the family. And, and you know, I, I've, I've been able to experience this um, in, in our own family, um, one of the areas that God has brought our family through is, is the call to adoption. And so as you guys know, like our two, uh, two of our boys, uh, Jackson and Judah, we both adopted. And part of that process, part of them coming into our family has been this name change, right? Where their names were changed, their last names were changed from the names that they were born with to, to now becoming a bit part of our, our family. Um, and, and I think baptism, I think that helps us to understand kind of this picture of baptism is it's a, it's a symbol or a sign for the world to know that I'm no longer Russin, this person that's, that's kind of in rebellion, leading my own life, that I'm determining where I go, but now I am a follower of Jesus. I put the name of the rabbi across me and I'm, and I'm identifying with him. And that's the picture of baptism. It's, it's literally that picture of, of, of when someone was, would, would be to, to be dunked into the water. It's, it's a representation of them identifying with the death of Christ, right? It's, it's, it's them as they go under the water, the picture of, of Jesus going into the earth and being buried, right? And as they come out of the water, it's a picture of, of Jesus resurrecting um, and the new life that comes with him. And that's, that's what baptism is. It's this identification piece. And Paul, in multiple places in Scripture, talks about the meaning of baptism. Um, talks about places and, and what it looks like for, for baptism. Um, and so one of those places is in 2 Corinthians 5. 
right? This idea of, of what it looks like to be in Christ. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Again, the idea of the old passing away as we go down and as we come back, the new has come. Or in Colossians two twelve, where Paul says, having been buried with him, Jesus, in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the power, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Or finally, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul says, You were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, right? This picture of, of being buried into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's this, it's this outward symbol that the world may see that I'm no longer my own, but I'm Christ. I belong to him. It's this picture. It's this proclamation of, of, of this new identity of who I am. I love, uh, I love how Francis Chan um, says what he says about baptism. He says this, Baptism was an unmistakable act that marked a person as a follower of Jesus. You see, I don't think we get this a whole lot in our context, but in, in this original context, when someone would be baptized, right, especially when, when there was so much persecution happening against the church and against Christianity, literally that mark potentially marks someone with a death mark on them, right? Because as they are identifying with Christ, they're also identifying as not belonging to this world, not belonging to whatever power that was that was in existence in that culture. But now I've said that I'm going to take up residency and I'm going to identify myself as a follower of Christ. And so it was an unmistakable act that marked a person as a follower of Jesus. Just as Jesus was buried in the earth, so Christian... So a Christian is plunged beneath the surface of the water. That's literally that word uh, baptized means to be, to be dunked or to, be, or to dip. Um, and as Jesus emerged from the tomb in that resurrection, re- resurrected body, so Christians come out of the water of baptism as a new creation. And that's the, that's the picture, right? That I'm, that I'm now joined with Christ. Um, it's this new identification that we have as followers of Jesus. And uh, as I was studying this week, I came across another passage that I'd never really connected with this idea of baptism and identity. Um, it's something that, that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And I always, I've uh, heard this passage many, many times, and I never really took uh, a deep dive into that until this week to see how this is connected with this idea of discipleship and, and identifying with Christ. Um, but I was really intrigued as I started to, to read more about this. Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus uh, is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And as I was studying, what I realized is that this word yoke right here, um, you know, in my mind, a yoke is something that, you know, the, the yellow part of the egg. That was in my mind what a yoke is, right? Um, but the more I studied it, I realized that a yoke was, is in, in this context, was a, was a piece of wood, right, that connected two work animals together. Um, it was a it was a piece it was a piece of wood and they were connected them together and so uh, the idea is that when when an animal is these two animals were yoked together they would share the burden of, of whatever that load was or whatever they were doing um, and and so literally this this idea means that when when we take upon the yoke of Jesus right when we are yoked together with him it's that we are we are sharing that with him we are joining our lives with his lives we are linking our lives with him that's that's what this yoke was was for it was to link two animals together um one of the one of the commentators i was reading about this he says this he says uh 
Speaking of Jesus, he says, in exhorting them to take on his yoke, Jesus was inviting them to discipleship. A pupil enrolled for instructions under a teacher is considered as coming under a yoke. Instead of exchanging one burden for another, however, it's exchanging one, uh, which is which is crushing and one can't carry, for one that is light and rewarding. It's the inner satisfaction of rest. And so as we as we exchange our yoke and, and carrying things our own, it's this ide- identification with Christ. And now I'm joining my life with him. And so that, that picture of baptism then um, is, is joining him. So in the, in the discipleship process then, right, as we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, as we go and we, we share the hope that we have within us with somebody else, as we talk about what Jesus has done in our lives and we compel that person and we present Christ and we demonstrate Christ to them and they identify their need for him and they understand that right baptism then is that piece of saying you know what now I get that I want that I want to follow Jesus and now it's this identification and I really like I'm really kind of perplexed by the idea why baptism has become kind of this this thing in church that so many people shy away from I don't know if you guys have noticed that but I know a lot of people who have made a decision to follow Christ, but yet this idea of baptism just hasn't been priority for them. I remember growing up, um, we grew up in a little small church, um, and I remember in our youth group, we had a really close, tight youth group. Um, and I remember we would always go to camp together, church camp together. I remember there was this girl in our youth group named Lisa. And I remember one summer, Lisa went to youth camp with us, and the gospel was presented, and she accepted the gospel. And so our youth pastor then talked to her and said, Hey, Lisa, you need to be baptized. Like, that's the next step in, in going public and proclaiming your faith. And she's like, yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, let's do that. And so, like, a few Sundays later, we set up a baptism service to baptize her at church. We get there Sunday morning, and I'm like, hey, I'm really excited about this. I'm, I'm excited for Lisa to get baptized. And, and my youth pastor, his name is Chris, he's like, yeah, me too. Have you seen her? I was like, no, I haven't. So it gets to, like, you know, 1055, you know, no Lisa, right? So we're like, well, that's weird. She never shows up. Okay. So, you know, uh, back in that day, you know, the, the pastor would wear the white robes, you know, so he takes the robes and the waiters off, you know, and, like, we just don't do baptism that Sunday. And then uh, the next Wednesday night, we see Lisa, and he's like, hey, what happened? She's like, yeah, just I, some, I had this thing that came up. I couldn't make it. Um, he's like, okay, well, we need to get baptized. Like, let's, let's do this thing. And she's like, yeah, 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 let's plan it. So we plan another baptism service. Same thing happens again. She just never shows up. And this goes on like four times in a row. Lisa just never shows up. And for like the next five years, every time that there was going to be a baptism service, uh, the youth pastor fortunately just stopped planning them for Lisa. But when there was a baptism service already coming up, he would be like, hey, Lisa, you want to you get baptized? You want to jump in on this? And for like five years, she never did that. And I can never understand why she didn't want to do that. Because as I read the, the text, I just wouldn't... I just don't understand why we would want to follow Jesus, right? We want to entrust him with our eternity, but yet we don't want to follow him in the step of obedience, right? We don't want to identify with him. We don't want to go public. And I know maybe there was a a social phobia fear part with that, um, but I also know that Jesus is very clear as as a follower of Jesus that we identify with him and that we go public and that we, we, we change our identity to following him. And so what I want us to do this morning, I want to take a couple of minutes together, and I want us to, to ask a couple questions. All right? I want us to discuss this. Have you identified yourself with Jesus through being baptized? 
If so, which I would say probably has been a lot of us, maybe, why do you think this step was important for you to take? If not, what is holding you back from being baptized? Okay, so let's take a couple minutes and let's discuss this idea of baptism uh, and what that means in our life. And then we'll come back together and we'll, we'll talk about this idea of teaching together. Okay? All right, guys, we're going to join back together. Um, I want us to look at this uh, at the second part of um, this call of, of making disciples and, and what exactly it is that we do in that disciple-making process. Um, and... Uh, so going on from there, after, after someone's been baptized, what, what else is it that we do? Well, Jesus also says that, that we teach them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? And this, this is the idea that multiplication, it's going to take investment. It's going to take some investment in someone's life. Um, again, in that passage in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, we just talked about, um, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me, right? So there's this part of this process in which we teach people, we teach that disciple, that, that, that follower of Jesus, we teach them all the things, to follow all the things that, that Christ has commanded us, right? And uh, I like, again, I want to go back to what uh, Francis Chan said on this because I, I feel like it's really helpful. Um, he says this, he says, realistically, this will require a lifetime of devotion to studying the scripture and investing in the people around us. We continually devote ourselves to studying the scriptures so that we can learn with even greater depth and clarity what God wants us to know, practice, and to pass on. We continually invest in people around us, teaching them and walking with them through life's joys and trials. And, and so when you, when you look at what Jesus' call is here to teach people to observe all that I've commanded you, Right? This, is not a, this is not just a, hey, let's sit down and meet for five times and I'm going to be able to teach you all that Christ has taught me. But it's a, I believe that it's a life-on-life life investment in the life of somebody else. Right, It's going to take a lifetime of investing in people. And that will obviously change as that disciple, as that person you're investing in, as they grow in their faith and as they mature in their faith. That will change, right? Because they're gonna they're gonna learn, and, and you may not be investing in them um, as frequently. But I think it's a commitment to continually investing in the lives of people, right? It's it's helping them, right? And I feel like this is is maybe where um, just as the church in general in the last several hundred years, like we've really missed the missed the mark. I feel like a lot of times as the church, we do a really good job at presenting the gospel to people and making it clear that there needs to be a commitment to following Christ. I feel like we even do a good job of uh, raising the awareness that people need to be baptized and, and follow that, whether or not people actually do that. I feel like the church does raise that awareness. But then a lot of times I feel like this is, that's just kind of where we stop. It's like, okay, we've, they've come in, they've, made a, they've said a prayer, there's been a commitment, check the box. Now we can move on to the next person, right? And I feel like this back end of discipleship, of actually investing and walking with people, is an area that we've really dropped off in a lot of ways in the church. And, and, and I say that as the church, not like look at the church down the road, but I just say the church in general, we've done a poor job of continuing to walk with people and to be almost like that like that Talmud we talked about and, and walking with that disciple and investing in that disciple. Um, I feel, like, I feel like we've just kind of been like, oh yeah, okay, I've done my Christian duty, now I can move on to the next person. Um, and unfortunately, what I think has happened is there's been a lot of people that have made that 
commitment or said that prayer and said, okay, I'm good, but yet their, their depth of knowing Christ has just been surface level, right? Um, and I've seen this a lot. Um, I've had experience over the last several years of working with teenagers, and I've seen this a lot in the lives of teenagers is that they'll go to this event um, and they'll, they'll accept Christ, um, they'll feel that tug, uh, maybe they'll even baptize, right? But that's kind of where it stops. And then they get a little bit older in life. They go to college, they whatever, and they don't have any depth to their, to their faith. They don't have any roots to that faith. They've never had anybody walk with them in their walk with Jesus and teach them, and, and their faith hasn't grown. And so the first time they go to college and they're in that uh, first science class, right, and it just shakes the foundation of everything they thought they knew about, right? Um, part of the reason is because they've probably never tested their faith, but also a lot of times they don't have relationships in place. They don't have people to go to. Um, they don't have people that they can look back on and say, hey, my professor said this. What do you think about that, right? And I think that if we're truly going to do this discipleship thing uh, that Jesus calls us to do, then we have to be willing to invest and take the commitment uh, of investing in the lives of people and walking with them for a lifetime. Um, it's kind of like the idea of raising children, you know, it's like, and, and, and I hear this from people that have already done that. We're still in the early phase of that. So, um, I, I can never see this happening, but, but you're never really done raising your children, right? Like you never get to the point of like, okay, great. They're 18. Like Trina, like you're, you're not like, okay, Ian's 18 now. I can never worry about him again. He's good. He's going to go figure out the world. And if, if he crashes and burns, then that's it. Right. What does mama do? Right. Mama gets on. Hopefully, he won't listen to this podcast. Mama gets on the, the LU moms, uh, you know, Facebook group, and learns all that's happening. And she's praying circles around him that he doesn't make dumb decisions while he's there, uh, and all of that. Right? It's not that just he's checked him off the mark. I've I've got him to eighteen, and now he's good the rest of the way. Right? But you continue. You're never really done. And I think that's the way we need to look at this process is as, as we walk with people and as we disciple and we invest in them that we're really never done. Now that's going to change, right? Like you're not, hopefully Trina's not going up to Liberty and like being like, Ian, all right, you need to eat your peas, son. You need to, you know, you need to go get some exercise. You need to drink your water today, right? But it's that, that, that follow along. And so those relationships change, but there's a continued investment in the lives of people. And I think what we have to do is we have to be prepared that when we commit to walking with somebody and to teach them that we're also walking and investing to teach them all that it means to follow Christ, right? Helping them to grow deep roots, deep, deep roots. Um, and, and so that's the commitment. And so what I, what I want us to do today is instead of me taking a lot more time to talk about this, um, I want to actually go ahead and we're going we're gonna to start our interview process, our process, Formal, or interview part um, this morning, and so I've asked Ross and Holly to come join me this morning. Oh, I was like, where did the other stool go? So I've asked Ross and Holly. Yay! Oh yeah, we forgot to. Yeah. Look, I didn't have to set that up. You guys like have a cheering section. That's pretty cool. And I've asked them to come. Um, Again, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, not because they're experts at this, even though they kind of are, um, but just because they're actually doing this. Um, they're actually investing in the lives of people and, 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 and walking with people, and they have a heart to do that. And I think it's important as the church that we realize that it's not just the guy standing up front on Sunday morning that's called to do that, but we're all called to do this. 
And so to hear people within our church body and how God is allowing them to invest in people and invest their lives in other people, I think is, is really important. So thank you guys for, for coming. I mean, you guys led worship this morning and now you're like our, our expert panel. Uh, so thank you guys uh, for that. Um, so just a couple questions uh, for you guys. First of all, um, and again, feel free if y'all both want to jump in on these. Um, but uh, the first one I had was, was for Ross, but Holly, you definitely can share that too. Um, can you share with us a little bit the value that you've seen in intentional uh, mentorship, discipleship, both in your life personally, but also as you've been able to walk through that with other guys uh, in your life? Yeah. Um, so it's become real apparent uh, that the importance of discipleship and mentorship recently. Um, my, my dad, like a couple weeks ago, uh, basically had a, sent an email out to our family, which it's really telling that it was an email, but... Uh, that he's, uh, you know, walking away from the faith, but he's given up on it. Um, and he was a pastor for a while, and looking back at like, my experience with Christianity and his experience, um, he had very little relationships, and anybody he could talk to and ask questions, and it can be lonely at the top, um, in that role of pastor in that sometimes. Uh, versus my experiences, I, I've always had a group of people that I could go to to ask questions and grow in and build up my faith. So for me, the, the, the biggest points probably were when I was in high school, I had youth leaders who were very invested um, in me personally, would invite me to things, um, and, and not necessarily everybody in the youth group, but very intentional, being specific of wanting to spend time with me versus just everybody in a group. Um, they would ask me to like tell my testimony and be able to share my story and the things I'm learning and growing in. Um, and there's something about asking people to share their story that emboldens them um, and helps them grow. And when I was in college, um, I was part of a Christian organization called Chi Alpha, which stands for Christ Ambassadors. And um, I had a small group of nine guys. And I, my third and fourth year at UVA, got to live in a house with them. So it was really living out that picture of community um, and having that. Uh, discipleship role, having small group leaders, but also then just everybody else learning and growing together. Um, and some of the things that I've found is that that is where the most growth happens when you are um, at 2 a.m. sitting on the back porch, that you have those conversations where, all, you know, it doesn't matter what the question is, we just don't want to go to bed. And so you have a lot more opportunity to grow in your faith and have those discussions when you're just living life with people. Cool. Um, you want the practical part too? That was part yeah. Of yeah. Go ahead. What? Uh, yeah. So, what does that look like then for for you now to to do that practically um, with with other guys and in, in that process? Yeah. So, um, I think so. When meeting with people, um, so we're assuming at this part in the process after we've been we're going through discipleship, we've talked with uh, Sam and Cassandra about that initial contact and meeting people, and all of that is very important. And building those relationships absolutely the first step in doing that. So assuming we're now at the point in the process where we're meeting with people and talking to them, one of the things that I've found that's really helpful is what I call the quadrant, quadrants of comfort, um, and that people have different things they are more comfortable talking about than others. Um, and this sounds very formulaic because it is, but it was helpful to me when I was first starting out. And so you start off asking questions about school and, or work, 
Uh, people are very willing to talk about that because there's little emotional investment uh, in those things. Uh, <laughs> there. So what? that's a good first step to talking to somebody. Uh, and then from there, you go to talking about family and friends. Again, not as intimate, but getting closer. And then you go to personal, what's going on with you, what are you learning, how it's going on, events happening in your life. And then finally, you can get to the spiritual questions. And so it's, um, that's a good practical step of just talking to people, working your way toward more intimate questions and building that relationship. The other thing that was really helpful to me when you're actually sitting for a, a, a discussion and going through a text of the Bible is what I call, or not what I call, but is called PROACT, uh, which is an acronym, uh, which stands for, first, the P is stands for prayer. So modeling prayer when you start off with someone. Um, the next one is R, which is read. So whatever text you're going to go over with someone. O is observe. And so that's where you start asking questions. What do you see going on here? Um, what is uh, God doing? What are people doing? What's the relationship like between God and people? observing in the text um, and then A is apply so how can we apply what we just read in that text the next P is for prayer this time hopefully working toward the person you're discipling actually praying at that point and you've modeled it and they're going to start to do that and then the T is for tell um, the to be able to tell somebody about what you're learning so this is great for just individual devotional time of prayer, read, observe apply, pray and then figure out who you're going to tell about it. But it's also great when you're discipling someone to be able to say, let's go through this process. And it works with any text. Um, and it's a good building of those uh, disciplines that we want to as followers of Jesus. If that is a lot, and I know I speak fast, the simple way to do it is just a three-question Bible study, which is what, is, uh, what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? What does it tell us about the connection between God and people? And that works for any Bible story. I mean, you can take that, you know, with Noah and the ark. Of, you know, what does it tell us about God? That he has a promise for his people and that wants redemption um, even when they mess up. What does it tell us about people? That we are broken and sinful, um, but there's hope. And what does it tell us about the connection? Like, you can do that with any Bible story. And it's great because people can do it on their own. It's part of discipleship is feeding people um, and having them be able to feed themselves without having to meet with you every morning, every day, the rest of their mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to grow out of that. What I, what I appreciate about those two things, too, is they're, they're extremely practical, and that's, what, that's really why I wanted to ask Ross and Holly to come and share today, because I know that one of the biggest barriers, I think, sometimes for us is just in our minds, like, how uncomfortable or how hard it may be to actually disciple. Like, I think we get this idea that we have to be this super person that has all the answers to every question that they could ever throw out um, or that we have to be perfect in our walk in every single way. And, and the call that Jesus says here is that as soon as you are a disciple, then you turn around and you start making disciples. And so um, as long as there's something that you know that that person may not know, um, you can start discipling that person. You may not be able to answer all the questions, but I like that practical or, or even the, part. the skills to be able to find out where. Like sure. That, that is part of the that being the one making disciples is you have the resources and knowledge of where to find that information. There's been Bible studies I've met with people. I didn't know the answers. Like, they're asking me questions about, like, you know, how do you determine the will of God for your life? I don't know. And so, but I knew where to find out. I could go and talk to my, uh, to my small group leader and, and go through some passages in the Bible and look up verses. And, um, having those resources is part of that skill. Sure. 
And, and also, as you're making disciples, I always realize that you're also still called to be a disciple. And so, like, it, it, you know, as you're pouring into other people, we talked about this uh, with our leadership team this week, as you're pouring into other people and investing in them, also make sure that there's still people that are pouring into you, somebody that, that you can go to. When they, if they ask a question, there's something that you can't figure out, that you have people that, are still, that you're still being invested in that are pouring into you that then you can go and invest in that person. Very good, uh, and I really like the the quadrant idea of of is engaging those first conversations and, and how to talk with people. Um, I will say one warning: if you're anything like me, um, and I know Ross is not, so this this works out really well. Probably, I I struggle to stay on that first quadrant. I can talk for an hour just on that like work and life stuff, you know, really never talk about anything deep. And so there does have to be an intentionality that you move through those quadrants and you don't stay stuck. In that, um, Ross and I just—I love the—I love the the gifting and the way that that we're different. But Ross was like, "Hey, what's going on in work? All right, what's going on? Let's get to the spiritual deep things. Like that's his, that's his wheelhouse. Like that's the place that he can can sit and talk. And and I love that uh, that about him. Uh, I can sit and talk about you know work and stuff for like two hours and never have a meaningful conversation. Um, you know, if if I if I'm not intentional about it. So I, I do say that to to be intentional as you're as you're walking through that. It's also kind of uh, revealing my cards to the people that I've been discipling are here. So I'm revealing a lot of my tactics. Your, your secrets, <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're all going to know yeah. the magic card tricks behind. They're all sitting here like, oh, that's what he did. That's what it is. Uh, well, well, Holly, um, you know, we, we know that you invest, obviously, a lot of you have invested a lot of your life in, in, in the lives of teenagers and even more so now, um, investing even in a greater capacity, more of your life in, in teenagers. Um, and so how have you seen just kind of, because uh, I, I do think that the youth culture can be a microcosm of, of just humanity in general. Like you see just in a smaller segment of a really a bigger picture of what happens in the world. Um, how have you seen this life on life intentionality um, how, how have you seen that uh, work out in these lives? And what are some of those, those uh, ways that you broke through some of those barriers in those relationships? Right. Um, so I'm a lot less uh, formulaic than Ross. What? And, and I learned. <laughs> never, never guessed that. Um, I learn by failure. So the good news for you guys is I've been failing for four years at this. So I've got a lot of knowledge, uh, not because I'm good at it, but because I'm bad at it. Um, but, uh, so the life on life intentionality leading to breakthrough moments, um, that has been by sitting on the steps of the adolescent world. Um, unfortunately, as adults, the second you graduate high school, something happens and you are no longer allowed in that world. You're allowed to look at that world. You're allowed to sometimes speak into that world, but um, you kind of have to sit on the steps and watch. Um, you guys know that I've been involved in youth culture for a long time and that I use a lot of their slang. And <laughs> um, But uh, to me and Emily, put me in my place frequently. That, like by, by, by a quick, a quick <laughs> eye roll from one of them puts me in my place. And so I say all that, um, to talk about um, context. So the, the ministry that I'm involved in, Young Life, is parachurch, which means we're not a church, but we work with and for in the kingdom. Um, and we reach kids that really wouldn't want to step foot in a church. Um, 
and um, it's incarnational ministry, meaning that uh, we do like Jesus and we go to them. So in Young Life, we say a lot, you know, you have to earn the right to be heard. And they really clarified that in my training in Oregon recently, and they said it's more of you have to earn the privilege to be heard. Um, the generation that we have now, uh, my generation down, any adolescence, which by the way, I don't know if you know this, but adolescence is extended now from 10 years old to even 30 at this point. Um, and even if you Whew, I made it out. <laughs> right. Finally. <laughs> and this um, this chunk of, of time, uh, and that's caused been like been caused by like cultural, socioeconomic stuff. Um, but we are living in the most anxious and depressed age since the Great Depression. Um, there's this statistic floating around, I think it's true, they, they mentioned it at my training, but they said the teenagers now, and I would even say my generation now, um, has more anxiety than a mental patient in the 1950s. And even if you didn't know that stat, um, I think you can probably think of about five people that are struggling right now. So in order, to have that breakthrough moment, you have to understand somebody's context. It's really hard to speak into somebody's context if you don't know their context. Mm -hmm. um, so by understanding their context with no agenda, um, practically, this is just a lot of listening, which is super hard for me. I have a sticky note in my office um, the Young Life office Maria. that says, <laughs> says she said uh, amen that <laughs> um, says you talk too much listen because it's true um, I was talking to a leader the other day and she was saying you know sometimes sometimes talking to teenagers is really easy I was like what how like what secret <laughs> sauce you got because um, she was like no 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 it's a lot of you just shutting up and asking questions because a lot of kids are external processors and they need to talk this stuff out and that's with with uh, any any age group it's just knowing somebody's context and if we know their context we can make them feel safe we can make them feel loved one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in discipleship is not bookending my conversations with I love you God loves you and just assuming that they know that. But it's my job and it's our job as people that are going out to make disciples that people understand how much we love them and that we are gonna be students of their context without judgment first. And then we can speak life into that, right? Um, so the most exciting moments for me, obviously, um, Baptizing to Mia and Emily was the biggest Yay. honor ever. <laughs> um, but I think the more exciting moments came after that. Um, when a kid gives their life to Christ, but it, that's exciting, but more so when they start learning about him on their own. Hmm. When I start learning about these moments that they've had where they're like, yeah, my, I had a really bad day, but I talked to Jesus about it. Like, I'm, like, trying to hide my face because I'm, like, getting emotional. Um, and then when they start talking to others about Christ, hmm. that is, it, it makes everything worth it. Um, yeah, so if you guys want to know more about the adolescent world, or even if you have adolescents 
if you've raised adolescents, if you're about to raise adolescents, if you've been an adolescent. <laughs> so, in other everybody, words, everybody. Everybody in this room with a heartbeat. Um, I recommend you reading this book called Hurt 2.0. Hurt, Hurt 2.0 by Chap Clark. I had the privilege of learning under him when I was at my training in Oregon. Um, he's one of the leading experts on adolescence from a Christian worldview. Um, it, when it, especially when it comes to discipleship of any young person, um, it will absolutely change the way that that, that, that discipleship goes. I think what's so cool about this too is, you know, it's it's easy maybe for us, for those of us that aren't aren't presently around teenagers like on a regular basis or intentional in the way that you guys have been with that, to just say, oh well, that's a youth thing, like you know, whatever, whatever. Which what I said a minute ago about this being a microcosm of the rest of the world, like the same principles apply to other people we know. It's just as we get older, we do, we think we do a better job of hiding it. You know, we put more layers on top of it, but like. Who, you know, can we think of people that we know in our lives that aren't stressed out, that aren't struggling? Yeah, they may not say it in the same way. They may not show it in the same way. Um, that's one thing I appreciate about the youth culture is uh, usually what you see is what you get. They, they're not, they don't really put on a lot of, they put on, they put on a lot of fronts. Um, but when things are, are hurtful, a lot of times they're a lot more uh, welcoming or open to letting you know, like, here's what's going on in my life. Whereas adults, like, we just, we put on faces and we, we cover that up with layers and layers of things. Um, but I think all of those principles are so true for, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're discipling someone who's 80 years old and they're dealing with, you know, the depression of, of just life and things that they've gone or mistakes they've had, whatever, that whole idea of listening first and, and really understanding the context of, of where that person's walked and how they live. I mean, wasn't that what Jesus did? I mean, right? Like, he went to where people were, and he went to the to the people like to the tax collectors and to the sinners. And he didn't just say he didn't just stand on the other side and said, "Hey, you guys need to repent." But he went and had meals with them, and he shared. And I was uh, I was reading yesterday in uh, I think it's in Matthew's account where he talks about uh, the woman who comes and anoints Jesus's feet. And and the Pharisees in that moment they're like, "Do you not realize who this woman is?" And he's like. I came in here, you didn't even give me anything to wash my feet, but she's been washing them with her tears. And just the way he validated her um, and and forgave her and loved her, all that happened, though, is because he allowed her to, to come into his, his circle or he came into her her circle. And I think, I think a lot of times we think, man, I can't do that. Or we think, man, the youth are really scary. I'm, I'm afraid to, to talk to them. Like, we just won't be able to connect. What you find out, though, at the end of the day, and tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> is that, yeah, it, the language may be different, but the problems are, are, this, are universal. It's a universal yes. humanity sin problem that we're dealing with. Uh, so don't be scared of these guys. And I just say that because you guys are here, not like, but you guys represent... <laughs> The greater mass of youth culture. Um, so don't be scared of these guys. Um, don't be scared of, of someone who's in a different generation or, or culture even than you. But what you find out is at the end of the day, like we're all universally in need of Jesus and, and we can share in so many of those things. Um, just what Holly was saying, listening is just the key to it. I mean, I've had, yeah, how many times? I, I don't know why, and I, it's, it is because of Jesus and because of just listening, but my classroom during lunch became like, psychology one-on-one. Like it was just people coming in and saying, hey, th- this is what's, like, I have this beef with this person and this isn't happening, and so many people coming in crying to my room. Uh, just... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do- Dr. Phil yeah. of, of Franklin County High School. <laughs> yeah, to me it was which, which Ross was like, that's not my place, that's not my thing, I don't know what do I do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
Um, and and I think I think for us to to realize that you do you do earn that place in people's lives, right? You earn that place, and, and that that's across the board. Um, and and you know the other thing is I I've been challenged in so many ways just from like just little small conversations with me and Emily about things, and they've been like, yeah, I was telling this person about Jesus, and I was like, dang, man, I haven't even told anybody about Jesus this week, and you're like, <laughs> tell me about all eight people. And so anyway, I'll stop embarrassing them. They're they're threatening me, I think, over there. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Ross and Holly, another, next question. Um, so so obviously those are you know some, some big moments and some wins, but there's obviously challenges that come along with this as well, living this way and investing in this way. Um, what have you guys seen as some of those those challenges as far as life life investment in other people? Yeah, so I am very much naturally an introvert. I'm not super outgoing, not going to go and talk to people what? out of my yeah. comfort zone. Um, and one of the things God's been working on my heart is that comfort is definitely an idol for me. And so that, yeah. that has been something that I've had to push um, through and give to him. And so... Uh, that, that's definitely been one of the challenges is giving up things that are comfortable. And so one of the things that um, last year, maybe it was two years, I forget how long now, uh, was really put on my heart is that this cultural idea that your home is your sanctuary and that that is not what we are called to. That is very much a cultural idea. Um, and so I told Holly, you know, we were about to start this Bible study for college students um, and that I said, God has been placing on my heart that what we need to do is um, make our home an open place. And so we gave all of them a key to our house um, and said, you guys are welcome anytime. Our fridge is open. You can take anything you want out of it. And now, to be to be fair, we do not have kids. We are very poor. Do not have much value. But, hey, these ramen noodles, baby. Come but, on. Come on. But yeah. um, it was just that, that act of obedience of saying, like, God, all of this is yours. And so... Um, it was an act of obedience for us, but I think it also made an impact on the people we were discipling and going after to say, like, all this is yours. Um, and so to, to give up that comfort um, of just having people walk into our house at all times um, and, you know, needing to stay the night because they didn't want to go back home um, and being willing to give those things up. Um, and the same thing is, as far as that goes, like time, I realized, was a big thing that I was holding on to that, like, you know, I'm available for these hours to love you and show you Jesus. And then after that, I'm watching Netflix. And to be willing to say that, that that doesn't, that's not what we're called to. Um, and reflecting on my own discipleship and how those, uh, any of those hours that were most meaningful were not planned or scheduled. And so um, to be willing, like, you know, three out of the five mornings that I have to go to school, I'm meeting with people at 6.30 in the morning at, at McDonald's. And so... Um, so the, the joy of that is that um, as God has worked in my heart that I have gotten to a point where I've said I still have two more mornings to fill um, and so that's been a big a challenge but also uh, as I've grown in that become more of a joy yeah um, I, I'd echo um, the comfort thing too and the time thing as well um, I think add, adding on to that um apologizing when I'm wrong has been a challenge um, because I think um, as leaders you you become this person that like has all the answers um, and I remember when I was in when Emily was in eighth grade oh my gosh you're a junior now oh um, so I'm getting old um, 
So I remember when she was in eighth grade and she was struggling with the idea of God himself and had a lot of really incredible questions about science and God and stuff. And I said, I think I have some answers, but I'm not sure. Let's walk through this together. Um, that was powerful for me and her. Um, and, and I've messed up so many times with them and, and other kids that I've discipled that if I, by the way, kids and teenagers and humans in general can smell bull crap from a mile away. So if you're not authentic with them and apologizing when you mess up, apologizing when you're wrong, there have been times where I've preached something at them and be like, hey guys, like, let's not be petty in this area. And then a day later, I'm just like a total jerk to this one about this or talking smack about this one person. Um, and I have to be like, hey guys, I'm sorry that I was negative for, for this reason. Um, had to do it recently. So um, my, um, that's been a struggle is to just kind of create that trust and authenticity in saying like, I'm not always right. The other thing, and that I really want you guys to hear is understanding that I am not the one who saves. And if you go into a discipleship relationship or a leader, a leader position with the mindset that you are the one who saves, it is going to burn you out. Um, it's going to feel like it is unenjoyable. And God created us with a yoke that is easy and light. And so don't put another yoke on there that he never said for you to carry. Um, that when I was away in Oregon and um, one of the girls that I was discipling was having a hard time, I was freaking out because I'm like, what if, I, what if this, what if this, what if this? I'm not there, I'm not there, I'm not there. And just crying over this and being so upset. But realizing that God had her, not me, and that was placing people in her life to step up. And they did in, in incredible ways. Um, so, yeah, pointing to Christ and not myself um, has been incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I think that, uh, that idea of, of opening our lives up to people, I think, is um, intimidating. And I think from like where I stand, uh, it's easy to say, well, yeah, they don't have kids in the home. It's really easy for them to do that, but to know that there's a sacrifice. And I think those of us maybe that have kids or other other situations, like it's really easy to use that as, a, as an excuse of why I can't open our house up, but Jesus never says that. You look at the picture of the early church, and it's like they met from house to house, and it didn't say that they had affordable child care, that they had you know a convenient place to send their kids. It was like in the midst of all of that, they did life together because that's what they were called to do. And uh, what a greater picture for our children, for those of us that have kids at this, at this phase of life, what a greater picture of discipleship for them is to see that lived out versus just to talk to them about it. You know, it's the, the whole idea of like, I'm going to send them to church to learn about Jesus versus I'm going to teach them myself um, about that. And I think that's one of the really challenging parts, you know, just personally, like in our life of of opening up our house and being open with people and, and inviting them to come in and to see that that how your home as a as a open door for the gospel uh, to invite people in um, that's super cool um, and they're not in here so I can brag on them but like that I know that's one thing that Sam and Chris have been really intentional about um, as just examples of like picking they had uh, something that they were doing on Wednesday nights 
and they ended that. And so instead of just saying, okay, this is going to be more family time, they've now kept that Wednesday night as we're going to bring people in and, and love on them and have them over for dinner. And that's going to be our intentional night to do that just so that it happens. Um, and so that's, that's really huge. Uh, and then, yeah, I think just being honest with people and realizing, uh, realizing that you just need to be transparent. That's great. Um, so you guys did this a little bit already, but, but, um, anything else that you would say to, to us as a church, um, as far as finding avenues to deeply invest in the lives of other people, any other encouragement that you may have with that? Yeah. I mean, as far as why we should invest in the lives of other people, (laughs) Paul and I were talking, we both, we were going over the questions and we both had the same answer. Um, but it's what Jesus did. I mean, uh, there are, there are so many moments when you read scripture where the best lessons, when the disciples ask him questions, the phrase immediately before it says, while they were on their way to blank, then the disciples asked the question. And we need to invest more time in the while we were on the way with people. Um, going to get groceries with somebody. I mean, or uh, just inviting people over to watch a show you were going to watch anyway. I mean, those moments that um, you could do by yourself, but you could also do with people. And it really wouldn't inconvenience you all that much. The the while we're on the way places is where discipleship really happens. Mm. That's huge. And Young Life, we have a fancy fancy term for that. It's called contact work, which is just basically... (laughs) It sounds colder. It sounds colder. It but you're just showing up. I mean, um, like Andrew, we're about to talk about this in, in training. But uh, you, you go, something that you were going to do anyway, bring somebody along with you. Um, the other thing I'd say to that is um, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, talks about Jesus having every right to this God form that he is. But he took, took that right off and step down into humanity. And so I think sometimes we feel like we deserve time or we deserve comfort or we deserve this and that. And, and it is good to be spiritually filled. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about spiritual burnout here. I'm talking about seeking uh, comfort that sometimes we have every right to, like, man, you've had a really hard... I've, people said, like, you've had a really hard week. Like, maybe you should take a, take, take a couple days off. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I should. Um... Because um, giving up your right to serve someone else is Jesus' definition of the purest form of love. So why, why would we not try that as well? The other thing I wanted to kind of add on top of that, aside from it being a straight-up command from Jesus <laughs> and radically changing lives, um, why should we deeply invest in other lives of people? Um, it's fun. Like, the, the joy of discipling someone and, and watching God change them before your eyes is unparalleled. Like, it, it's so incredible. Um, it also doesn't have to be and really shouldn't be so serious. Um, if you go into this with the only intention of having deep, serious conversations, you won't have those conversations. Um, some of my favorite moments have been, lo- uh, like, we're all just, like, hanging out in our living room with the girls or with Christian or with some of our young life leaders or whatever and like laughing until we're crying about something <laughs> uh, like that's happened on the TV like watching like Gator Boys or something ridiculous um, and we always find ourselves like laughing and then having a, a deep moment and then like laughing and then having a deep moment it's just these the rhythms of life become worship mm. and it's awesome um and so in Acts 2, um, 
they, they kind of talk about like caring for one another, sharing with one another, and then bearing each other's burdens. So you can't really get to that bearing one another's burdens part unless you show them that you care, that you're sharing with them, and then you can get to that that bear. Hmm. If, if you want to be uh, really uh, organized about it, care, share, bear. Care, share, bear. I got acronyms too, Josh. Care first, then you share everything, then you can bear one another's burdens. Wow. That was that was good. I uh, appreciate you guys doing that. And we we recorded this today too because I know we have a lot of people that are out today, and I'm really going to encourage them to listen because I think this is this has been the the super practical highlight part that we that we need to have as far as how do you actually do this. Um, and, and and one last thing I want to kind of wrap up today and also this series with, um, and it goes back to our text and we I didn't forget we haven't covered this part of the text, but the very last sentence of the Great Commission. Uh, after he tells us to, to go and baptize and then to, to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? The last sentence is, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that reminder of that we don't do this alone. And that we don't go out and we don't disciple alone, but that, that Christ promised that he's going to be with us. If we go and he, we invest our lives in other people, that he's going to go with us. And I heard somebody say something this week that I never thought about. So we always talk about the cost of discipleship, and that's true. There's a, there's a great cost to it, and it's going to cost us comfort and a lot of other things. But he said, have you ever thought about, or we don't really think about the cost of not discipleship, the cost of not actually investing, right? And just to think about which is the greater cost. It's going to cost us comfort and, and maybe some relationships and things to, um, you know, in our lives if we, if we disciple people but it's going to cost us a lot more if we don't get to see Jesus show up and be in our lives, right? And so really the question comes down to which, which one do you want to do? Uh, which cost do you want to, do you want to take? Uh, and, I, and I love that picture of, of, of which one is going to cost us more. And so um, if you guys will, uh, I just want us to close uh, in prayer today um, as we kind of wrap this up. Um, just close, close in prayer together. God, thank you for today. And God, I thank you for uh, just this time to, to talk about discipleship, to talk about what it means to follow you and invest in the lives of other people. And um, God, to give our, our lives away for, for other people. And uh, Father, because that's what you, you did. You gave us your son. You gave yourself away so that we may come back to you, God. And so... God, those of us that have seen that and experienced that, God, may, may we be willing to do the same in our lives. God, and we thank you for the promise that we know that Jesus is with us every step that we, we take, every, every move that we make, God, every, everywhere we go, that, that he is with us uh, and he is going to give us the strength to do that. So it's in the power of his name that we go. It's in the power of his name that we go and, and take this message um, of the good news of the gospel to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh